Now, Brother Clint was charged with the responsibility of making sure that I was aware that there is a timer right here. That's your job. You were told that. That's a responsibility. It needs to be done at any event of this nature. However, my wonderful, beautiful wife pointed out to me before I came up here, there's a great big timer down front. You need to get a look. You need to know where the timer is. She didn't come right out and say anything, and being male, I don't take hits, hints well, so I don't know what she was trying to say in that, but she did want me to know where the timer was. I appreciate that. When I start my car, I turn the key in the ignition, and the car automatically connects to my cell phone. And I love that. I know it's not new technology. We, we've had it for, for some time now, but, but this is the first vehicle I've had that does that. And I really like it because once that happens, my car, my cell phone connected, at that point anywhere driving down the road, I can push a button on my steering wheel and I can, if there's a name in my contact list, I can say call and give that name and it dials that person. I love that. I, I can then talk. I can have a conversation. You can get a lot of things done. If you can just press a button and, and have a hands-free phone call while you're driving, a lot of things can be done, at two things at the same time. It's great. It usually works very well. When we lived in Albuquerque, there was one stretch of road on a highway, and unfortunately it was a highway that I was up and down every day. It was the one between my house and the church building. But for a couple of miles on that highway, there was no reception. If you tried to call someone or someone was trying to call me, it would not get out into that wonderful stratosphere that, that, that we find our, our phone calls bouncing around through nowadays. And if you were already talking with someone when you hit that stretch of the road, first you get that lovely little robotic voice sounding thing and, and then the call just goes completely. It wasn't a great place to try to have a phone conversation. I found very much the same thing here. We've moved to Portland, Tennessee, which is just across the border to the south, and, and I have found that I can be in Tennessee and all is well, and I cross into the state of Kentucky. I don't know what y'all have done here, but I cross into the state of Kentucky, and my cell phone signal is gone. It's not that it says I have a weak signal. My phone tells me I have no signal whatsoever then I have to find a place where I can make a phone call or do whatever it is I need to do. I, I suppose in some ways we are accustomed to that with all of the technology that we have today. Sometimes the reality is we just get a bad connection. The call is dropped or the call never goes through. Aren't you glad that when you and I pray to our Heavenly Father, He always hears us? There's never a dropped call, no matter where we go, no matter what the terrain, no matter what the geography may be, God hears our prayers. We can get through to him and know that he hears us. Just think for a few minutes with me about the, the book of Psalms before we get to James. I want us to think about a couple of verses from Psalms that remind us and that point us to prayer prayer. 
Psalm 4 verse 1, hear me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm 17 and verse 1, hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. Psalm 61 and verse 1, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. Psalm 88 and verse 13, but to you I have cried out, O Lord. Psalm 102 and verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come up to you. Psalm 143 and verse 1, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me and in your righteousness. The language of these psalms And not just these, but over and over in the book of Psalms, when we see the language of prayer, we find that it's not a casual language. I'll pray when I have some spare time. When when, when things are are eased up a little bit, when, when work is a little bit less hectic, when things at home settle down, maybe when the children are at a point that they're no longer in extracurricular activities, young parents that point never comes. But, but we think that when things slow down, when things aren't as fast-paced, then I'll, I'll take more time to... No. No. There's no sense in the book of Psalms of, well, maybe when I get around to it, I'll pray to God. But instead of that, these passages and, and many others in the book of Psalms remind us that prayer is vital to us. We, we not only want to pray, we need to pray. And that is exactly what James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 brings us. Godward guidance. As we open our Bibles to the book of James, and you may want to look over at James with me very quickly, we see a message that, if you'll forgive my use of it, the book of James is a message that equips us. And I don't know if that was the point of having that as the first of these equipped, but James equips us. And as we look to the book of James, we see a message that tells us faith works. And I mean that in two different ways. James brings this out. Faith works in that faith does something. Faith is active. Faith is involved. But also, as we read the book of James and and we look at this idea that faith works, we find that faith, when we come to have that faith, that belief that is based on the word of God, and we act on it, it is effective. Faith works in both of those terms. And throughout the book of James, that is exactly what we find. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, faith works when we are struggling. Verses 12 through 18, faith works when we are tempted. Verses 19 through 27 of James chapter 1, faith works when we are obedient. In James chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 13, faith works. When we are unprejudiced. And in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26, faith works when we are active. In James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, we find that faith works when we are self-controlled. And in James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18, faith works when we are peaceful. 
I also wanted to say when we are wise, those two things kind of are brought together there at the end of James chapter 3. In James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, faith works when we are humble. Verses 7 through 12, faith works when we are submitting. And in verses 13 through 17 of James 4, faith works when we are planning. Then we come to James chapter 5. James 5, verses 1 through 6, faith works when we are just. Verses 7 through 12, faith works when we are patient. Verses 13 through 18, faith works when we are praying. Verses 19 and 20, faith works when we are restoring. Over and over in the book of James, over and over, this message comes to us, comes into our heart and reminds us of our life in Christ. Faith works overwhelmingly. This message comes to us. And right now we look at James chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. And we see how we are equipped to live for Jesus because you and I as the Lord's people are blessed with Godward guidance. Notice what James tells us. Number one. He brings to our attention the need for prayer. James chapter 5 and verse 13, he wrote, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone suffering? It means to suffer misfortune, to suffer distress, to undergo hardship. I believe this is something we very well understand, maybe all too well through pain and loss and concern. We've, we've come to see this. We've come to, to experience this. We know what James has in mind. It's, it's when that cell phone rings in the middle of the night, waking us from a deep sleep, and we look at it and we see the number. and We know it cannot be good news. We've got to hit that green button and answer that call to find out what happened. It's when we go to the doctor's office to hear the results of our test. And instead of that cold, sterile examination room, the doctor leads us back to the nice room. The one with the comfortable chair and the big desk. And says, why don't you have a seat? And we'll talk about these test results. It's what happens when our heart is overwhelmed by some family situation and things are going on and we don't know if it's ever going to be just right again. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And then immediately James gives us the flip side. If you are cheerful, the word means to be encouraged, to be happy, Sort of the idea of having that merry heart that we see in the book of Proverbs sometimes. If, if anyone among you is cheerful, let him sing psalms. Now listen, that, that does not mean that we cannot sing when we are suffering. I have known strong Christians who are great examples to me, who, who in their suffering they trust in the Lord, and there is at times a song on their heart, and I appreciate them. And certainly it does not mean we cannot pray when we have that merry heart. In fact, we should. It's a great time to give thanks to God and, and just go before Him and say, thank you so much for how much you've done for me. But James is showing us who we are. When you suffer, pray. When you're cheerful, sing psalms. 
Then we come to verse 14 of James chapter 5. He goes on to say, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. When someone has a serious illness, perhaps they're that they're unable to be up and about very much. You and I use the term shut in. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's something different. But they're, they're, they're kind of bound to their house for something for some period of time. Maybe a short time. Maybe a, a long time. James says, ask for the elders of the church to, to come. Do you notice that? As James is writing about prayer and, and how we need to approach the throne of God in prayer, he reminds us in no uncertain terms to remember that there is a reason that our Lord has given us what he has in our church family. That there are shepherds, there are elders in the church, oh, men who are spiritual, men who walk with the Lord, men whose life has shown those qualifications so that they can be shepherds and they continue to live in that and walk in that. James says, call for them. Get the help you need. There's an importance to the spiritual leadership that our Lord has placed within the church. We, we need to keep that in mind. And I want you to know something else. I don't know who in this room is an elder or may be related to an elder and who is not. But if you find yourself facing that illness and you'd like for the elders to come and pray with you, do what James said, please. Call for the elders of the church. Let's stop with that little bit of, if you'll pardon me, passive aggressiveness in which someone may get sick and not tell anybody, and when nobody shows up to pray with them, they get mad and say, nobody came. Nobody knew. Well, they should have known. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. James said, call for the elders of the church. The elders I've known, when they get that phone call, they get in their car and they go. They'll come. They want to pray with you. They want to pray for you. And that's what James said. That's what the scriptures tell us. Call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. Of course, it's likely olive oil that, that's here. What is that? Well, it could be medicinal. Uh, some have suggested that that, is, that could be the case. And certainly, even today, in, in those parts of the world... There is a medicinal application of, of olive oil that is used in certain situations. Usually it's more of a rubbing the oil in than anointing it. And so that may not be the best way to look at it. It could also be a, a sort of a symbolic picture here. We see in the Bible sometimes that anointing is done. In fact, the purpose of anointing may be to, to set someone aside in a special way. And, and maybe that's part of the, the view here. Although the word for anoint is... It's not usually used in that way. It's entirely possible James here is writing with something in mind that, that you and I do not possess. James, remember, was writing in the first century when miraculous gifts were present. It, it very well could be that, that we're looking at a case in which James is, is expecting that there would be some miraculous healing. Well, those have ceased, but, but still those prayers, even without those miraculous gifts, those prayers are needed, and, and we should still solicit the prayers of our brethren and certainly our elders. 
And then James adds to that this spiritual side of things. He says, and if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. That's a statement that's made, and it seems to be on the assumption that the one who had committed those sins, well, they've done what the scriptures teach. If, if they've been living in sin, they've repented of that. They're, they're, they're back to, to wanting to walk with the Lord, and, and they're seeking forgiveness for that. But James says if that's the case, that, that happens as well. But in these words, James is telling me and he's telling you, we need to pray. If we back up just a little bit to James chapter 4 and verse 2, James tells us one of the problems with our prayer life sometimes is quite simply that we don't. We don't pray the way we should. We have not because we ask not, he says. And, and so we need to make sure that we are a people who are praying. Sometimes I'm afraid we may find ourselves using prayer sort of as an emergency button. I'm going to live the way I want. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But then when something bad happens, I'm going to find some opportunity then to pray. Oh, I've not lived in that life in the Lord, but now I'm going to pray. Sort of the idea of, of in case of emergency, break glass using prayers as a fire extinguisher. James says, no. He says, Christian, live a life of prayer. Live a life recognizing your need to pray. I read about a woman. She was the matriarch of her family. And she had been terribly ill for quite some time. Her health had been poor for years. And, and for several months, she had barely been able to, to get out of bed and, and sit up in a chair for just a few minutes every day. Her doctor had run some tests. And, well, because of her health and her long-time relationship with that doctor, he actually came to her house to talk to her about the results of these tests that she had had run. And as the doctor was speaking to her, telling her what it was, he said to her, we've done all that medicine can do. The rest, he said, is in God's hands. And the woman's eyes grew wide. And she said, Oh, no, has it come to that? Yes. Yes, it has come to that. Of course it came to that. It always comes to that because it is now. It has always been in the hands of God. And you and I as the Lord's people, we need to be a people who are acting like that who live every day knowing that it is true that our lives are in the hands of the God of heaven. My success and my failures, I have to place in the hands of God because my whole life is in his hands. My triumphs and my tragedies are in his hands. My health and my sickness are likewise in the hands of God. In Psalm 61, beginning with verse 1, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Cry out 
we need to pray. In the book of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus teaching said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul writing to his brethren said to them, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Peter writing likewise to Christians said, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's the message I need in my life. It's the message you and I must take with us and practice every day. We need to pray, but don't stop there. Notice with me number two. As we look at James chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, getting to, to grasp this Godward guidance. We see not only the, the need to pray, but also the power of prayer. James chapter 5, now to verse 16, James went on to say, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James says, Admit your wrongdoings and pray for one another. This is not some concept of setting up a, a system of a confessional. That's not anywhere in James's mind. He's talking about us as Christians, that there are going to be brothers or sisters in Christ with whom we have a relationship of such caliber, of such spiritual strength, that there will be times that we tell them, the struggles of our heart, perhaps right down to our sins, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he gives us that statement, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The New King James Version reads, that phrase, effective, comma, fervent, is from a single term. Okay, I'm no Greek scholar. I do not pretend to be. I love Greek vocabulary. It is wonderful. It opens windows to me, and the Greek vocabulary is marvelous. Greek grammar regularly takes me out behind the woodshed and whips me. That's, I don't have a good relationship with Greek grammar. But the vocabulary I love, and the word that is used here is anargeo. It looks like our word energy or energetic, and it means work, be at work, function, cause to function. That's what James is saying. Effective, fervent is this one term. It, it took two words for the translators of the New King James Version to say, okay, I, I think that gets us kind of there. But, but it's that, that anergeo, that functioning prayer, and he says it avails the word for avails means strong, capable, is able. Prayer has power. If you are young or if you are old, you can pray. If your health is good or if you are struggling in your health, if we are hearty and hale and out and about every day or shut in and can barely get out to, to come to the services of the Lord's church, we can enter the labor of prayer. And it's a powerful work. 
It's not some meager little work that, well, I guess that's all I can do. But it's going before the throne of God and it avails much. It is capable. It is able. It does something. And James says that is the Godward guidance. That is what I need in my life. Me, Bud Woodall, preacher. It is what you need in your life effective, fervent prayer that avails much. Prayer is powerful. I read some time back about a Canadian strong man. His name is Kevin Fast. He holds the world record for the heaviest aircraft pulled by an individual. In September of 2009, he pulled a CC-177 Globemaster III jet. It weighs 416,200 pounds. And he pulled that jet almost 29 feet. It took him a minute and 16 seconds to move 416,000 pounds of aircraft just shy of 10 yards. That is an amazing feat of physical strength. That, that's incredible to even think about. But have you ever thought that our lives are a little bit like that? That you and I find ourselves putting in every bit of our physical effort. And we are straining and we are stressing, and we are pushing so hard we think our heart is going to burst. Every ounce of strength that we have is being put into whatever it is that's in front of us, whatever this task, whatever this trouble, whatever this struggle may be. We're pushing with all of the physical strength that we have just to inch along bit by bit. Because I want to tell you something. Mr. Fast's feet of strength aside... Folks, if you want to move that 416,000 pounds of jet, use the engines. <laughs> They'll do a lot better than just under 10 yards in a minute and 16 seconds. And they'll get that jet off the ground. And if we want our lives to be what they should be, my friends, we need to use the power of prayer. Prayer works. God hears our prayer and prayer avails much. It has a great power. At about that time, there may be someone thinking, does this mean when I don't get what I asked for in prayer? Does this mean that when I pray and it doesn't happen, my whole heart was in the prayer, does it mean that there's something wrong with me? Does it mean I'm not spiritual enough? Does it mean I'm not good enough for God? Does it mean he doesn't care about me? No, no, that is not what that means. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, I want you to look at something with me. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, 
Paul, remember there, wrote about what he called his thorn in the flesh. He doesn't identify it, much to the chagrin of scholars through the ages. Paul did not identify the thorn in the flesh. There are scholars who have written so many pages on what the thorn in the flesh must have been or had to be, some of them say. We don't know exactly what it was. I, for one, am glad. I am so thankful that we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was because I know how I am. Maybe you're this way too. If, if we knew exactly what the thorn in the flesh was, we could look at this passage and say, well, well yes, Paul dealt with that, and, and that's how it was resolved. But what I'm dealing with is, is, is different. As if somehow we're dealing with more than Paul did, but that's uh, an aside. I'm glad it's left ambiguous because it tells me whatever it is, I can look to this passage for guidance. So, so Paul has this thorn in the flesh. Verse 8 of first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, rather, Paul writing says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He prayed not once, not twice, but three times, asking for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. Verse 9, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul adds, therefore, most gladly, I will rather suffer in my infirmities, or rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to notice, this is not that Paul's prayer went unanswered. This is not an unanswered prayer. It simply was not the answer for which Paul had been looking he received an answer to his prayer. The Lord said, no, Paul, I won't take away your thorn in the flesh, but let me tell you, I'm going to give you what you need to get through it. I'll give you my grace to strengthen you. When we pray to God, well, sometimes the answer comes just the way we want it, and we're so grateful and thankful for that, and well, we should be. Sometimes he says no. Just no. Sometimes he says, not exactly. <laughs> and he changes something. Sometimes he says later, but always to his glory. And always we should thank him for his goodness and that he has heard and answered our prayer. That is the power of prayer. God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. And through him we have those things that we truly need. Faith works. Faith works when we pray. The message of James chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 brings this to the forefront. We need to pray, number one. And number two, there is a power in prayer. So let's be a people who are equipped to serve our Lord, living with the Godward guidance of prayer because prayer brings us to that reality that we rely on God Psalm 46 beginning with verse 1 it's one of those passages that has always been dear to my heart this was the favorite verse of a dear sister in Christ who was dying 
She knew she was dying. I suppose we all know that we're not going to live on this earth forever. It's not just that she knew she was going to die. She, she knew what was going to take her life and what things were going to be like heading in that direction. She's also a woman who, when I went to her one day to visit, she said to me, now, I don't want y'all praying that I'm going to live. <laughs> I, I can't do this. She said, I know I'm walking with the Lord. I have been. This is going to end my life. Pray that I can go home. And this was her favorite passage. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, even though its waters roar and are troubles and, troubled and the mountains shake with its swelling. God is our refuge and our strength in every fear that we have in every worry that enters our heart, in every pain and in every trouble, we have somewhere to turn. That's the beginning of Psalm 46. Now look at the end, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, God's perspective. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is the God of heaven. That is the one whom we serve. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And there in God is the strength that we need for our life. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing psalms. If you're sick, pray. Call for the elders of the church to come and pray with you and for you. But turn to God, the Godward guidance, to say we rely on you. You are the only strength that will get us through. That is how we are equipped to live life in Christ.